Thank you, everyone, for joining us for episode one of the Gamify Everything podcast. We chat about um, all the opportunity beyond in the metaverse and beyond. I'm your host, Marcus Howard. And today we are joined by the one and only Chris Smith, uh, founder and CEO of Big Esports. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Hey, hey, happy to be here. Excellent, excellent. Uh, we got a couple of housekeeping items we'll have to do throughout the course of the podcast. It's going to be about 90 minutes. So just some items for those of you who are joining us here in the server. I'm sure you're looking for some updates from the team, announcement about the IDO date, uh, other episodes of the podcast. We'll get to that in a minute. But Chris, just to start things off, can you bring everyone up to speed about uh, how you got into esports and how you got into crypto and what you're doing in that space now? And then definitely we'll kick it from there. For sure, man. Yeah, I'll start off, with, I guess, with the end first and, and then I'll work backwards from there. So with a lot of the work that we do these days in blockchain gaming, it's really about scaling companies out of just working in the crypto market. How do they build something sustainable to work long term with gamers? So we don't really do any marketing specifically towards, say, like Telegram. We don't do marketing specifically towards, like, you know, NFT shilling or, you know, just providing an NFT promotion to an influencer or anything like that. For us, it's really about, you know, how do we help these people become a sustainable project? Because, yes, you know, starting off with Telegram and these and these investors is an extremely important part because they're often funding your project. That's how you get it off the ground. That's how you get the capital. But then we want to use that capital once they've raised that to then reach out to a sustainable long-term gaming audience. So for me, I've been around the industry it's 13 years now, so I'm feeling pretty old. Um, and, you know, for me, I started off as a top-level player, I'm sure some people listening in, you know, have followed me on LinkedIn before, so know a little bit about my pathway, but working as a, or playing as a top-level player in a few different FPS games that allowed me to run a $30,000 CSGO tournament, oh, sorry, CS Source tournament back in 2010, which was big dollars in those days and didn't in these days compared to prize pools, and that really launched my professional career into the space. So in 2010, I worked in PR and marketing for Thermalpay because they're first marketing employee here in Australia, a computer company. Left them after four years, went to become a journalist or as a journo, as we call it in Australia, for a period of time, doing tech and music reviews and some esports stuff. Then I got uh, asked by Corsair to apply to become their first employee in Australia. It's another computer components company, and I ran all their marketing here, trade shows, events, launched them into influencers, and supported the sales team um, out of out of Australia, New Zealand, and then ended up leaving to create Big Esports, or as it was originally called, Business in Games. So today, for us, our main investor is Australia's largest publicly listed games development company called Playset Studios, and then on the Australian stock exchange of PLY, I believe, and. Uh, you know, we do a little bit of work with them. Obviously, a lot of stuff we can't talk about. And um, with our rest of our work, it's across you know gaming, esports, and influencers. A lot of fee for service work, a lot of long term strategic work. And we have clients everywhere from from India to you can see one client listening in now is in San Diego to you know Gamify is all over the world and so many other clients too. That's excellent, uh, and congrats on on a successful career going from being a competitive player to a business owner. That, that's one of the things I respect about you. And many things I respect Thanks. about you is your ability to to reinvent yourself, uh, especially as a business owner. I, I'm a serial entrepreneur myself, so I, I appreciate your journey, your success, and, and even when you've had to make those tough decisions to pivot. Yeah, yeah. Look, man, I don't I don't miss being a player, really. To be honest, like um, I was talking to Sponge about it. Uh, for those people who follow CSGO, for those people who don't follow CSGO, he's an Aussie, very Aussie larrikin. 
one of the most famous CSGO commentators these days and was a pro player. And we never really got along too much as players. We were a bit mortal enemies, our teams, against each other. And his team was better than mine anyway, so I never got the upper hand. But, um, you know, I asked him at, at IEM in Sydney, I think in 2018 or 2019, I said to him, you know, do you miss being a player? Because we were sitting up there in the VIP section watching the guys on stage compete for, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in prize pool and you have a bit of a pain internally every now and then. You think, you know, I wish that was me, but... You know, he said no, and I think I agree with his reasoning. For him, he doesn't miss the stress and the pressure. You know, it was it became an unhealthy obsession when I was a, a top-level player in CSGO. All I could think about, literally 24-7, even while doing other tasks, even while working with friends and girlfriends or anything, was playing the game. Because while I wasn't playing, other people were getting better than me. And I wasn't the best in my team, and our team wasn't the best in Australia, and we were nowhere near the best in the world. So a lot of that internal pressure and criticism coming all the time from you know, how you're out with friends having a burger on a Wednesday night, you should be aim practicing right now because your aim sucks, et cetera, et cetera. Do you feel there's any, uh, I guess, a, a recreation of that feeling as a, as a business owner? And before I do that, I have to remind myself <laughs> r- remind myself that we are here in Discord and we've got people tuning in on LinkedIn. So I, I'm remiss if I, I didn't mention this to those of you listening on LinkedIn. Uh, Gamify is an IDEO launchpad platform. So think of it like Kickstarter, or or WeFunder, those platforms that where you can sell projects to fund the project being done or sell equity to fund the project being done. But in this case, the, the projects launching this platform are creating their own cryptocurrencies and then selling those to fund the projects and the teams to go build whatever the platform is. So just level setting for those of you who, who aren't part of the server and aren't familiar with everything happening with Gamify. Go ahead, Chris. My apologies. Yeah, that's fine, man. No, exactly the same. You hear that from a lot of people too, especially in today's digital age and especially with clients all over the world, right? Like we have clients right now who are based from the UK to India to the US to Australia. That literally covers the entire world Hmm. as far as where time zones go and and also some clients in Asia too, Southeast Asia. So you think about where I'm sitting, India is about six hours behind, I think. Um, Southeast Asia is around three hours. The US is around 10 and the UK even more so. So, um yeah, for sure. You can always get messages. One of the most important things I ever did was turn on Do Not Disturb mode that turns on at, at I think at nine fifteen PM at night on my phone. Because the worst thing this is why I learned when I was at Thermal Take because sorry, when I, I learned to course it because they're opposite time zones to me. If you have notifications for emails on and you get up to go to the toilet and turn on your phone to use the light or something like that, and you see an email come in, then you sleep to rally you sleep for the rest of the night. Sometimes you can't sleep, especially if something goes wrong. But things can always wait, you know, unless they're a massive grow or you know, it's something seriously on fire. These things can wait. So, yeah, it's important to try to separate those things for mental health reasons, but it's hard. And especially it's hard when your company is under a certain size as well. You know, we've been scaling very well. And, you know, we've, we've signed a lot of clients recently and then hiring a bunch of new staff. But, you know, we're still in the in the real hardcore growth stage for us. And we're in that stage where I was thinking about yesterday. You know, I was asking myself um, with, with a couple of minutes break, I was in the kitchen, I think, making lunch, like, can I take a holiday? That's, that's not a question that you need to necessarily ask yourself if you're a listed company or you've got hundreds of employees or something like that. But, you know, when you've got some, when you go through that scouting process, that's certainly a question you have to ask yourself as a founder. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I, I have several similar memories. I, you know, my company before I got into esports was a multimedia search engine for indie games. And it was just my brother and I, we bootstrapped it. Uh, you know, so we had full time jobs and we're building this on nights and weekends. And because there were just two of us, both of our both of us are, are coders. But we had to split the bill down the middle uh, because he writes better code than me and I, I write better copy than him. He focused on building the platform and I, I built the community. I think we had 
um, users in on Twitter in about 120 countries uh, worldwide, which is great for us having a thriving community for indie games. But like it was always 8 a.m. somewhere. And I could remember, you know, every weekend, like waking up at like two o'clock in the morning and responding to a tweet or a DM. Yes. Yeah, definitely done that before. Definitely try not to do that. And, and even just the cognitive load of, of when things are on, you know, like um, pretty public with, with, you know, I do jiu-jitsu and love to go to the gym and things like that. So try to enforce those structures. Actually, some good advice from a friend of mine, uh, Michelle Mannering, and she's a community manager at GitHub these days um, and is well known in the esports space too, specifically in Australia. You know, she, her, her kind of tagline is calendarize your life and she calendarizes everything. So you're going out for a movie with, with friends? Well, that's a three-and-a-half-hour calendar invite to yourself. So that time's blocked out. You know, you want to spend some time with your dog for 35 minutes, you know, every day at 4 p.m., then that's that's a calendar thing. So I try to do that now with jiu-jitsu in the gym where because of my meetings are all over the place, you know, some days or a lot of days I'll have meetings at 12 hours apart. Like today, I had my first meeting at 9 a.m. With a, with a new potential client who's based in Miami, and then I've got a meeting tonight um, to discuss some stuff we're working with Gamify actually with a with a potential advertising partner in the UK at 8.30 p.m. So, you know, I try to separate those things and have that time free where I can spend time with my girlfriend and my dog and walk my dog every morning, um, make sure I get time to go to the gym. And for me, that means meetings happen. You know, the last meeting will happen at, say, 3.30 p.m. and the next meeting will happen at 8.30 p.m. It gives me time to go to the gym or jiu-jitsu, have a shower, sit down for 30 minutes, eat some dinner, and then, you know, get on and prepare my mind for a meeting. Yeah, it's 7.40 here, so I, I totally understand all of that. And speaking of Laura, she's just joined us in the audience. I'll give you a digital wave. Well, those of you on LinkedIn can see I'm waving. Laura can't. She's not watching on LinkedIn, but I'm, I'm waving at you, Laura. And, and on that note, speaking of the avatars, uh, let's shift the conversation to NFTs and talk a little bit about what Gamify is doing with NFTs and, and why it's different than most of what we're seeing in the space and why it's so exciting. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure, man. Look, it, the thing that surrounds it mostly, and I've, I haven't talked about this too much in public content. It feels like I have because I talked about it in so many meetings, but <laughs> NFT is often a dirty word with gamers right now, right? We saw the launch of, of um, Ubisoft Courts didn't go very well. Mm -hmm. We saw Stalker announce and then de-announce NFTs. Um, you know, GameStop's just announced their NFT marketplace and I haven't seen too much consumer feedback. I need to do some more research into that. And the question is why? And the answer for me primarily is what value does it provide? What does it actually bring? That, that's what an NFT needs to do. Besides cool digital artwork, like, yes, that's a cool trend, but how many people who are, you know, say under 45 years old, do you know in your personal life, this is anyone listening now or later at the Discord, LinkedIn or whatever, how many do you know who actually invest in artwork? Like, I've, I've got a lot of artwork on my walls. I'm just looking around here. You know, I've got a, I've got a, a canvas picture which was taken at a convention. Um, of myself and my staff, you know, that cost me $20. There's a Star Wars poster next to me that my girlfriend put up that cost $20. There's a, a funny picture of Baby Yoda, uh, which is free from the internet. Um, you know, like no, none of this is expensive artwork that's been paid for. So, yes, that's one part of the market, but that's not necessarily what gamers are looking for. Gamers are looking for something that adds value to their experience that actually is, you know, helps to enhance what they're doing. So just by moving the skins they already buy and own they're used to into NFTs, that doesn't necessarily do that because it requires more work from them. So some, a lot of the time it will detract because not only do they now need to know how to set up a wallet, they need to be able to manage that and keep that safe. They need to understand a new type of currency, how do you buy that currency. You know, it just adds all this extra complexity where they're used to just going to Steam, adding funds and just clicking buy on a, on a CSGO wallet and then off you go. 
So, you know, with, with a lot of what Gamify is doing with using these NFTs as sort of golden tickets and, and allowing people access, that's a fantastic thing. I've been talking to a lot of sports about doing that exact kind of thing as well, you know, selling memberships as NFTs that you can then potentially sell on to other people. So let's say you have a VIP membership ticket to the UFC. I haven't been talking to them about this, but I would like to. Imagine you've got that and it, imagine it's a it's an auction and there's only 100 of them in the world and this NFT gives you access to free live general admission tickets to any um, any fight anywhere in the world. It also gives you VIP priority entry, it gives you a $100 bar tab and it gives you a $500 a year um, free merchandise voucher and one meet and greet with a fighter or something like that. And then you can decide to hold on to that. Maybe that NFT lasts for five years before it burns and disappears or you can you know, sell that on. Maybe you become a huge USC friend for a year and you go, you know what, I don't feel like I'm going to do some fights. I'm going to sell that. Maybe make profit, maybe not. I don't know. And then you can kind of go from there. So, you know, there's some kind of, that's just one idea of many that people are talking about. You know, a lot of people are doing this kind of social clubs. There's a NFT project I know that's it's um, called Fluff and, you know, they're doing social clubs where you need to have the NFT to get into these exclusive parties where influencers and DJs and artists and stuff will be, you know, and then you're looking at the Gamify thing where you need to hold this NFT to be able to complete certain actions and obviously Gamify being an IDO launchpad, you know, what the actions are that, that kind of tells itself and that's, that's the answer. Yeah, I really appreciate the ability to kind of skip the whitelist with by holding the NFT uh, because I've seen, you know, Glenn's been out for a long time and, and it's been kind of one of the go-to utilities for indie yeah. gamers. So if you want to win free copies of keys, you go do these like five or six and sometimes like 10 things, right? Sometimes that can just become more work than it's worth. I guess, you know, if everyone, it, it depends on what, what you see value in, but having the ability to just have this one simple digital key through the NFT just makes it simple for everyone. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, very true. And, you know, like, like I said, and I'll keep saying again, what, there's a couple of things like what can you do with it and what value does it provide to your experience? And, and that covers both of those things. So that's something that, you know, this is where the market's going. We are still seeing a lot of, you know, hype around just buying cool artwork and, you know, Board 8 Yacht Club and, and um, you know, Lazy Lines and some of these other projects are, you know, still very big. There's still been a lot of transaction volume. They're still increasing. But how do you build that long term? And a lot of that too is about, you know, like I said, using that, that, that money from the crypto community, the crypto bros, as some people call them, you know, to fund your ability to then spend money on marketing towards that um, gaming market and towards that sustainable long-term market. If you could think about it in other ways, almost like the crypto market, almost see them like VCs. You're not raising money off Sequoia Capital or BlackRock Partners or someone huge to then have them download your virtual reality game and play it, right? You're, you're raising money off them to spend that money on marketing to gamers to have them actually play and, and use and consume your product. One of our mutual colleagues has said that very same thing. He's done NFTs really to go fund games almost the same way you would on Kickstarter. And ironically, I don't know if you've heard, Kickstarter yeah. has, has announced, you know, following the Gamify trend, that they're going to be adding kind of cryptocurrency support in their platform so that you I assume you, you can fund games through, you know, buying cryptocurrencies or, or you know, staking cryptocurrencies. It's important. I, I think what I, I what you said that, that really resonates with me is is kind of shifting the model away from traditional venture capital um, and more towards the crowd, more towards the community. I, I see this amazing opportunity to kind of shift the relationship between gamers and game publishers from like, customer and and product provider to strategic partners right almost a part of the same organization i, I don't know if decentralized autonomous or, or organization is is appropriate there but really just evolving that relationship so there's more like you said adding more value to the gamers than just hey pay us money 
Maybe you'll get a subscription. Maybe you'll get a piece of the game and then some DLC or microtransactions, but really like making long-term relationships with the gamers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I think part of it too around, you know, the gamify NFT section versus like what you said with the Glen giveaway is becoming obvious that people are giveaway hunters these days, right? <laughs> like it's becoming obvious that yes, you might get 13,000 entries into your Glen giveaway, but um, it's very common to see 4,000 of those people leave your Twitter after the giveaway is announced, even if they did or didn't win, right? So if people are putting their money where their mouth is and purchasing an NFT, that means they are serious and they're not taking up room for someone who's not serious to, you know, come in and invest in the project. And it's obvious that Gamify does have that traction with the, you know, the 250K pre-IDO that, that reached a, a max at one stage of $10 million stake. It's obvious that there's a lot of people that want to get in as well. So, you know, how do you democratise that process? How do you make it a bit easier? Well, democratisation is a big part of what everyone's talked about for a long time with blockchain, right? So that's definitely solving. Once again, you know, like I keep talking about, I keep harping on solving problems, solving issues. So many blockchain pro- projects don't solve any issues. They solve non-existent issues. It's like an infomercial where they make up the problem and then they solve it. You know, this is uh, looks like it's actually doing something. So, you know, I'm very excited to see it actually happen in effect. I agree. What's really cool about the NFTs here for Gamify as well is that they're not just, like you said, just one static image that may have different background colors or, or whatever. It's it's very near and dear to kind of gaming culture. There, It's almost, you know, RPG classes. So you've got a medic and you've got um, a, a mage. And not only are they just, you know, they're these different Gamify concepts or characters, but they're also animated. So for those of you who haven't seen them yet, they're debuted at the Gamify uh, YouTube account. If you go to youtube.com right now and search Gamify Everything, you can see that channel and see a list of all of the different NFTs. Um, and each of these characters also have companions, you know, little pets. So definitely encourage you all here in the Discord server and also on LinkedIn. If you're tuning in uh, through LinkedIn, go check that out. But really excited about what the future of, of the NFTs through Gamify hold for, again, democratizing access and, and adding legitimate value. Not to say that that NFTs right now don't have legitimate value, but more legitimate value to, you know, having an investment in these digital assets. Yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say that most don't have any value. <laughs> and, um, you know, like with, with one of our clients we're working with, which comes from an artwork background, it's how do you how do you scale out of people only caring about the immediate floor price to what's in the future? You know, there are, you know, I was talking to a potential client before about this today. He was saying that I feel like most crypto companies don't understand that they're essentially like a public listed company and they need to have a communication strategy with their audience, just like our investors play side. You know, do internally with how they're discussing things with their shareholders. Obviously, there's many more legalities that are surrounding what Playside can and can't say and what I can and can't say is, as you know, part of their kind of internal ecosystem, if, if you will. But, you know, I think that's the way that cryptocurrencies need to understand that that's how they work as well. If you're a DAO, or even if you're not a DAO, you know, you still have people who are holding your coin, holding your token. And while they don't necessarily have the same voting rights that like a shareholder may, they can still pump and dump your stock. They can still have a say in what happens. They still control the transaction volume. They can control whether they buy more, whether they tell their friends to buy some, you know, whether they sell all that kind of stuff too. So, you know, that the communication strategy is definitely important. Awesome. I want to take a quick break now. If anyone has any questions, and Chris, if you're okay with this, I know we talked about kind of setting aside the Q&A, but I think it helps if people are here and they're having questions as we're talking, they want to ask those yeah. very quickly. We can go ahead and get some of those done. Uh, so if you're here in the Discord, feel free to raise your hand. We can bring you to the stage and ask your question. 
give you 15 seconds while Chris and I drink some water or he's going to drink coffee. I'm drinking water because it's almost eight o'clock, <laughs> 8 p.m. Seeing no hands raised. So I'd like to shift over to the annual tradition you have of, of predicting the future in the ecosystem. For those who are from who are not familiar about that, can you, you share a little bit more about how long you've been doing that? Why? And, and talk about what you forecasted for 2021. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So for us, um, kind of started last year, really, you know, I, I, would, I would often make some um, some sort of artificial predictions about, you know, what I thought was happening in the market as they kind of happened. But, you know, last year around Feb kind of time, I decided, hey, why don't we make something, you know, a little bit more serious. And, and we made a carousel, which we do quite a lot, that just talked about my 2021 predictions. And and uh, we also talked about 2020 trends and where they went. And then after that, we talked about 2021 predictions and where we thought, you know, the market was going to go. So thankfully for us, we got seven out of seven of those correct at the time uh, with all, you know, publicly verifiable stuff, except for one, you know, that's that's still coming that's not quite publicly verifiable. So I can't, you know, so much post about it. So you, you could, if you want to look at it from a negative side, you could potentially say six out of seven. But, you know, with, with those... Um, I was trying to find the carousel while I was talking to make sure I got them right. But there are there are a few uh, predictions that were happening there. Number one was kind of the explosion of NFTs. So, you know, obviously at the end of 2020, which was when NFTs were kind of just starting to become a thing that was discussed, um, NBA Top Shot was kind of thriving. You know, we've kind of seen that boom and bust. That was one. Another one was gaming and fashion will explode. So we've seen Nike launch hardcore into Roblox. We've seen Balenciaga do a full drop in virtual reality. Um, we've seen so many more partnerships with League of Legends and many other games in that space as well, um, you know, with, with our physical sales, digital sales, skins and games and things like that too. So that's, that's the easiest one to pick up on. Or another example specifically within eSports is 100 Days of Gucci doing a collaborative drop together for the first time, which is great. Um, and then all these other, you know, team, all these other brands from Carhartt sponsoring Misfits to, you know, so many others as well coming into that space as well. PMA Adidas, et cetera. That was another one. Um, one of the other trends predicted for 2021 was influencers merchandise going custom. So this is a little bit of a softer one, but this is from a lot of the discussions I had with influencer managers in 2019 and 2020 saying that every influencer has released a black hoodie and a black T-shirt. Um, they're looking to do some different things. So FaZe did a drop with Heat, for example, where X, one of FaZe's ex-members is, is an investor, I believe, in Heat. Heat is like a... A box you can buy where you pay, say, $299 USD and you're guaranteed $400 worth of value. Often it's a one-season old or end-of-season stock high-profile um, products like, uh, you know, Off-White, etc. Balenciaga, you know, these Gucci, these kind of like uh, expensive luxury clothes. They did a bundle pack where they bundled some Off-White here and some others with face clean here. So they sent me one of those packs. And, for example, in that pack, I got a pair of Off-White shorts, um, I got some designer socks and then I got a FaZe Clan T-shirt and a FaZe Clan crew neck as well to wear that was all part of that pack. Um, and we've seen a few other influencers go down those kind of tracks. Another example is there's an influencer collective, which I've been told, uh, quite a large one um, within the gaming space, and they're going to start doing fortnightly drops of merchandise to try to test out that frequency as well. So that's the influence merchandise custom. And then the last one that I'll talk about, because um, otherwise I could just go on forever, the, the last trend um, that we discussed in there was around influencers chasing equity and also their own products and businesses. So 
equity is extremely common for influencers to ask for right now and, and was, you know, um, throughout the end, real, real tail end of 2020. Most of the time or a lot of the time, these influencers don't know why they're asking for equity or what that actually means when they're asking for it. But, you know, that this just shows that it's an early stage thing where it's starting to really catch on and they understand it's something they need to do. For the ones that do understand, a few examples, Mr. Beast launching his own burger, um, fresh Asian or fresh as he called these days, highly fresh, massive Fortnite creator and Laserbeam, the eighth largest YouTube gaming creator in 2019. Um, in the in the YouTube wrap up, they signed an agreement. They've been developing a game with their investor Playstation Studios. You know, even Ryan's Toys has his own licensing company where he's made his own games, um, and so many other things like that too. Doctor Disrespect launching his own gaming studio and hiring some senior people to look after that. You know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So we're seeing so much more of that now um, in that space too. So with our 2022 predictions, uh, we've just picked up a corporate sponsor to actually sponsor an entire report for that. So we're going to be doing. Hopefully around a 30-page report, we're just bringing on a new senior employee at the moment. We'll be leading that. He's got an MBA and they're doing a PhD in Metaverse Marketing as well at the moment. They're, they're partway through that. So they'll be leading that with some of our consultants and myself to kind of develop a report that talks about our, our 2020 um, or 2021 wrap-up with data from our – we've got multiple industry data partners and then to talk about our 2022 trends, predictions and analysis for what's coming. So hoping on an April launch for that and probably a Feb kind of teaser for that stuff to come out too. And then everybody, you heard it, keep an eye out in February for a teaser and then April for the full report. One of the other things that's interesting is, you know, you, you report on these trends, but you're also creating actions on them. You know, you've, you've leaned in on the crypto and NFT space by doing a, a number of projects and partnerships and working with a number of clients in the space, including the Gamify team. Can you, you talk a little bit about um, what was your inspiration to lean into this space for others who may be in the esports ecosystem or larger gaming trying to understand if and why and when this makes sense for their business? Yeah, for sure, man. So, you know, like like I said before, a lot of our work is scaling people out of just working with specifically Tim Rayner, um, who's involved in that ecosystem as well. And, you know, we've been looking at the market for quite some time. Um and seeing what we want to do in that space. Like I said, we don't do the hardcore crypto grow marketing. We don't do the the Instagram DMs. We don't do the Telegram promotion, that kind of stuff. And that's where the market was previously. So obviously it wasn't ready for us. And there's still some products that aren't ready for us. But in regards to like what we do with Gamify and what we do with our other clients, it really depends on what's required. So there's an upcoming play-to-earn client we'll be announcing hopefully soon. Um, for that client, for example, we are doing 100% of their marketing everything from developing their go-to-market strategy, influencers, community, paid ads on social media and YouTube, um, asset and content creation. You know, when I say everything, I mean everything from from start to finish. With some of our other clients that we're working with, um, we're simply just doing influencer marketing just for a budget based around a campaign or a launch. Um, Some of them are retainer-based, some of them are project-based. You know, it's really open. Um, Advisory isn't something that we've really done in the past at all. We're considering or we're considering... Um, pushing myself as an advisor on one project. But for us, we like to look at multiple things within the ecosystem, like you said, and use the data from spending on campaigns with others to, um, you know, be able to do some better work in the future. As, as for, like, some examples of some of our clients, um, you can yeah, – and as I list them, that probably makes sense to listeners as to why we're working with them. You know, one is Gamify, IDEO Launchpad, once again providing value to the industry, providing people access to, to games to invest in. We're also working with Transient, who's a smart contracts company. TSCT is their is their token price. Uh, to, sorry, is their token name. 
they're a smart contracts company that's that we're helping to get into gaming and esports or democratize the esports ecosystem and process, especially tournaments. Some tournaments love not paying out prize money, so that's obviously something that doesn't happen with the smart contract. Working with the Vogu Collective as well, which is a hyper successful, really um, artistic um, and beautiful looking IP um, in the NFT space and helping them with understanding how to A, do some marketing, B, communicate with their audience, C, scale out of just people caring about the floor price and go towards something much bigger. Um, one of the reasons I love them is they've got everything from like comics to little animations to so much more than just these, you know, pixelated you know, image art. They've really developed out law and an ecosystem, which these gamers like. They just need to communicate that. Um, and then a few others in the projects around play to earn and, and a few others that are upcoming. And then the last one is Veil VR, which is the world's best CS, the world's best VR FPS game, kind of like CSGO in VR. And uh, they launched their own metaverse, which is essentially an armor, a lobby where people can hang out. And within that metaverse, they've introduced usable pets as NFTs. So we marketed them before they even thought about, I'm sure they thought about doing NFTs, but before it was really a line item for them at all. We've been working with them since before that to do marketing. And now they've launched the NFTs and working with them to do that launch and the communication with gamers. And that's where a lot of my learnings coming from that I've been talking about today, about how to communicate with crypto audiences versus gamers, how to separate the discussion when needed and treating them like shareholders in one sense, treating the NFT people like shareholders in one sense, as the gamers like users of your product in another. Because once again, like I said before, you are, if you've got an NFT product and this kind of stuff, legalities aside, a lot of the time you can't call them an investment, right? They're not a security. All that kind of stuff's very obvious. But these people are purchasing and they're spending their money to purchase these items and they want to make sure that the ecosystem is looked after. But the way that you communicate, say if you're a public listed company with shareholders, you know, let's say you're EA, the way that you would communicate with someone who holds $500,000 worth of EA stock and is a successful CEO, you know, let's say they run like a, a lawn mowing company, is very different than the way that you would communicate with like a massive Star Wars fan that just wants to play the latest, you know, Battlefront game. And that's the way that I think a lot of these crypto projects need to be thinking, whether they're an idea platform, whether they're a game or an NFT or anything like that. Do you think that there's a, outside of Gamify, you see any examples of, of other platforms that are doing a good job with educating? Because I, I haven't seen it. Um, and I, I thought, I know that you're in this space. So I wanted to see if you've seen anything that just says, hey, this company is taking this seriously to bring the gamer base or player base up to speed so that they know what they're getting out of this? Yeah, one I talked to recently was um, Nobility Token, obviously born out of the esports ecosystem with Nobility, the esports team, they're launching Nobility Token and signing on some good advice like David Chen, who's an who's a, um, investor in FaZe Clan and, um, you know, serial entrepreneur himself and very successful and comes from a, you know, kind of like a rags to riches story, I guess, and gives back to a lot of people, which is great to see. And that's where some of the thoughts come from around it, you know, I kind of developed that thought as I had a meeting with them around communicating like a public listed company. And, you know, they use a separate um, crypto marketing company to do things to crypto versus others, um, but, you know, versus to the gaming audience and to things like that too. So, you know, I think they, they might be an interest. I need to do some more reading into that, but I, I, that's that's a very positive early indication sign for me that other people I think should potentially look into as well. And they've obviously done very well for themselves since their launch and, it's a common discussion piece with a lot, but with so many people, and I'm sure you see this and, and anyone who's you know, got what hands-on experience in this market, it's so hard to know what to focus on. There's so much all the time, right? It's like, do I focus purely on just a crypto shield people to try to like 30x my coin because that's going to be worth much more than getting like 2,000 hardcore gamers to play my game? 
you know, that, that can mean a lot more to your bottom line mm-hmm. if you like 30x your floor price, which can happen in crypto markets because you don't know how crazy they are, versus like do I get, you know, a few thousand more people into my Discord who are actual gamers who are hardcore and going to be playing the game for the next five to ten years and making regular purchases on, on products. You know, a gamer, a gamer with a lifetime value to your company of five thousand dollars is worth nowhere near as much as if your coin, you know, lops off a couple of zeros like sheep and that yeah. investor who put in whatever it was, 20 grand becomes like 300 million or whatever that stupidly large number was from that guy that came out with sheep. You know, I've got a friend who turned, um, what was it, $100 into, into like 15,000 in sheep. You know, like that, that's a remarkable difference in your bottom line. So it's hard to know what to focus on and when to focus on it. And there's no playbook written for this, right? It's all over the place. Why are some NFT projects so popular? It's really hard to know. It's smoking mirrors. Sometimes it's NFTs, you know, like that crypto punk thing that came out where there was a guy and a guy, I don't know who it was, someone basically, and, and from the research in the blockchain, it looks like it was Wallet 1 sold it to Wallet 2, who sold it to Wallet 3, who sold it back to Wallet 1. So it's potentially this person got out a loan if they didn't have the capital to sell it to themselves twice or three times, basically. Sell it, sell it to themselves, sell it to another wallet and then back to themselves just to get that floor price up, just to get that, you know, exposure and, and you know, cloud on Twitter. I've seen some of that as well. And, and I have a theory that some of the heightened prices that we see in the ecosystem is a result of basically crypto being mined for the last 12 years and NFTs really being the first meaningful way to spend some of that money that's been just sitting in wallets. But I also agree with you that, that there may be folks in there who are just artificially inflating the price, right? Just because it... People are, are uh, social, like pack animal, like mob behavior-ish in, in the way they follow those trends. And it doesn't take much to create a domino effect where you start now see either prices skyrocket or tank. Really good point, actually. If you, like, if you look, if you had to take yourself back to when you were younger and, you know, think about myself and a lot of my friends when we first started working, the mentality of a lot of people was, I have $600 in my bank account, I have $600 to spend. Mm-hmm. So if you're a young person who's just thrown $100 into Sheep and now it's worth $15,000 and you're like 15 years old, which is a real possibility. I mean, I had a um, – we run an esports course and I had a 15-year-old tell me about he made $2,000 profit off Sheep. Mm-hmm. You know, what What would I? What would have I done with that money when I was 15? Probably bought a new gaming PC because <laughs> the game was very good. It was like a handy at that stage. You know, I might have gone to, the, gone to KFC and bought stuff for all my mates there's a really awesome uh, podcast I listen to a lot, um, and I'm just trying. I'm just blanking on the name of it, but it's about like hackers and and a whole lot of other stuff in that space. And um, this is a common thing that people who are scammers or people who are doing illegal activities talk about a lot when they're young and make a lot of money. They just start spending on crazy stuff. So there was a guy who was selling drugs on the black market after originally making fake IDs or something like that, and um, you know he he talked about. Exactly that. Um, he talked about exactly that same kind of mentality. He saw money and he wanted to spend it straight away. So instead of buying BMWs, he would take his friends out to dinner four days a week and pay for everyone. And then quite often he would pay for everyone in the entire store and things like that too. So if you got if you're young and you got cash to burn and you want to spend it, what better than the status symbol, which is you know CryptoPunk or a Lazy Lion or you know et cetera et cetera. You mentioned earlier that we're not quite sure what the future holds, and I agree with you. But I I, I have some concerns about what's happened in the past with the gaming industry trying to uh, lean in too heavily on monetization. You know, we were, again, we've all seen the subscription model, uh, DLC, microtransactions. I'm concerned that 
leaning too heavily on NFTs could potentially create like an imbalance where everything is just too expensive for it to be fun, right? Like I just got done playing uh, a Zelda game, right? And like the rupees, I can always get a number of rupees or hearts or or arrows or whatever. If if immediately those now become 0.5 ETH, like do I continue playing that game? Yeah, yeah. And and, um, just to take one step back to the podcast I was talking about before is called Darknet Diaries. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's been suggested. Um, But, yeah, in regards to that, it's definitely a common problem. We saw this with Axie Infinity, right? Axie Infinity's majority play base was in the Philippines, which is a lower socioeconomic area, and then it cost hundreds if not thousands of dollars to simply play the game. Like the common thing I've said to people with play-to-earn projects is imagine if every single time someone purchased CSGO when, when it was a purchase game or, or Call of Duty, the game becomes more expensive. You're alienating your future audience. Mm-hmm. You know, CSGO thrives on, I believe it's an MA game, right? So let, let's take all legalities aside. The common thing might be a player who's young might graduate in this order. They might play Roblox, then when they get older, Minecraft, then Fortnite, and then graduate to CSGO. It CSGO needs 15-year-olds coming in to play it to become the 18-year-old pros, to become the 32-year-olds, you know, when you're young, what you affectionately call daddy gamers who are running down mid with a P90 holding left click that are playing your game. You know, you want them to be playing that game for that whole period. But a 15-year-old isn't going to be able to get into CSGO when the game costs $4,000. It's just impossible. So, you know, how do you develop your tokenization? How do you develop your ecosystem to get people into there? Some play-to-earn games I've seen are releasing multiple mini-games and some of those mini games are free and they're going to use those as user acquisition across to their played, you know, which I think is one interesting thing. But another one is, you know, I, I'm not an expert on tokenomics, but I'm sure probably some people listening are, and I would love for them to send me an explanation around this, but how do you make it so, you know, how, how do you make the system so there's some way that it's always going to be very cheap to provide a starter? Do you create a token that had NFTs attached to that whose starting value was just so astronomically low that no matter what, it's going to cost you like three cents, you know, if you purchase the game at the start or something like that. You know, I think that's, um, you know, I think that's one potential solve for the product. But you're definitely right in what you said. We've already seen that problem before and I think we'll continue to see that problem. You know, it's, it's like if a project becomes too popular, that kills it because then no one can play the game. And like I said, you know, you've got two different sides of the fence. You've got the people with the money to burn. You want the status symbols like the investors in the product and people who purchase the high-quality NFTs. But then you have the people who actually use the products like me. And, you know, if I've got thousands and thousands of hours in Dota, but I only spend on battle passes. So I'm very unlikely to spend, you know, even today, if Dota release NFTs and they cost like $900, I'm not really a collector in that sense. Mm-hmm. I much, much prefer experiences. So I'll buy all the battle passes they release and compete with special events, 100%. If that comes at NFT, cool, whatever, that's nice. I'll probably sell it to fund my next battle pass purchase. But um, I want experiences and, and so many other gamers do too. Excellent. We, we do have a question that has come in from, let me, these notifications, Marcus. Uh, I'm blanking on your last name, Marcus, but ironically, another Marcus. So I'm going to bring him up to the stage, if you don't mind, so you can ask a question. And if anyone else wants to ask questions, you're welcome to uh, raise your hand. I will promote you to the stage so you can ask some questions. Marcus, you have an invite. Justin Taylor, an invite to you as well. Hey, I guess I'll jump in first. (laughs) Go right ahead. Um, I just want to say first off, Chris, big fan of your work. I follow you on LinkedIn. I see me commenting on a lot of it, um, <laughs> but I wanted to get your take or at least your thoughts on sort of the cross section that exists between NFTs and subscription services like something like Game Pass or even like PS Now. 
do you see there being an ecosystem where the two of those can can thrive together? Or is there opportunity there? How do you, I guess, how do you see that working in the future? Or do you see it working in the future? Thanks. Yeah, one issue I think I see with that is like, um, they need to they need to burn because the subscription process is they're receiving payments every single month, right? So how do you balance out that lumpy process of revenue? But how do you ensure that ongoing revenue process that comes from your customers as well? At this stage, NFTs primarily make money through launching a secondary like pets or or something else that's an accessory that's attached to that, or they make money through people transacting. But if you're creating an asset that people want to hold on to and they want to use, let's say that you sell a game pass as an NFT, people aren't selling that to other people. So yes, you might get a great raise at the start. You might get a couple of million dollars, you know, multiple tens of millions of dollars if you're someone the size of Xbox. But then if that game pass lasts forever, you know, how does that money um, happen? So that's why that example, like I mentioned at the start of the podcast around like the USC selling that exclusive NFT for people have VIP access, that would burn after a certain amount of time. So, you know, that, that NFT would exist, say, for a year, and it will disappear, and then there's an auction that goes on for the next years. So you can choose to sell that NFT to someone else within that one year that's still valid. You can sell it on day 364 if someone's kind of sell it off the buy. But um, then after that time, it disappears, and then you have to purchase another one for the next year's subscription. Did that, did that answer the question? Uh, sorry, I couldn't hear you, Justin. Justin, we couldn't hear you. Did that answer your question? going to take that silence as a yes. Justin, if you, you have have any other questions, feel free to ask. If not, thank you for the questions. Yeah, maybe some technical difficulties. We see the mic's on mute, but no sounds coming. Oh, okay. All right. Well, thanks thanks for that, Justin. We appreciate it. Marcus, again, you've been promoted uh, to speak when you have a chance to accept that invitation. Chris, I want to give you an update or not an update, but just a, a point of clarification, just like you had, you remembered that podcast, the, the Team Nobility or, or Noble Esports Nobility Token. Ironically, they're based here out of Tampa Bay. Uh, there you go. Yeah, so hopefully we'll be seeing oh, well, more from them here in in the upcoming year. Awesome. Yeah, cool. Welcome to the stage, Marcus. Hey, you guys hear me all right? We can hear you. Yes, sir. Okay, I wanted to uh, say thanks for uh, accepting me to speak here on this uh, tonight, but uh, I wanted to address something that's very troubling that you were just speaking about in in uh, in the gaming industry where NFTs are concerned and uh, the value of playing the game just exactly what is the value of playing a game when it costs what you said four thousand dollars to play there is no enjoyment there nobody really wants to do that but at the same time uh, there's there's already solutions for that in web3 not all smart contracts are are written equal and not all smart contracts uh, have a tokenization model that includes uh, um, uh, an investment vehicle as, as a token where everybody celebrates when they're being burned and the more they're worth, uh, the better the investment. That maybe is something that should be left out in terms of gaming, where stable coins are created, tokenization is made, where uh, the first 12 players and the last 12 players out of 100,000 uh, players or a million players get a chance to have uh, the tokens created and minted uh, so that the token value is non-deflationary, therefore not an investment vehicle. And that's that's a model where the players get a real opportunity to enjoy the game, and it's an actual uh, play-to-earn model. Yeah, no, definitely some good points. Thanks for your question. And it, it's along the lines of what I was talking about before, right, with the exact problems that Axie Infinity ran into. 
with you know thriving off a lower socioeconomic market, but then due to their popularity, they became worth so much that no one could afford to play. And they had some legitimate, but some very dodgy secondary ecosystems and loan sharks, you know, loaning out NFTs to people and universities, that, you know, set up and all these all these kind of weird substructures that were set up for people just to be able to play the game. And it's definitely a problem that needs to be addressed because, you know, like I said, you're alienating your potential future audience that, you know, you want, you know, if you're, a, if you're an age-appropriate game, you want 11, 10, 9, 8-year-olds coming into your ecosystem like they do in Roblox and Fortnite to be able to play that for a long time. And that doesn't happen if the game straight up costs. You know, most of these games are freemium these days or, you know, free with, you know, skins and things you can purchase. So, no, you're 100% right. Maybe a stable coin is the answer. I don't, And the thing is, too, I think I don't have the answer, but I can definitely present all of the problems and then, we, you know, we're working on some answers for this stuff right now. Uh, I think you've, you've addressed, like, a lot of those points very well. Thanks for that question, Mark. Did you have any others? No, that was it. I just wanted to uh, have a short little uh, point at that it's entirely possible to make those actual play to earn without deflationary smart contracts. And, uh, and thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. Man. And yeah, and the thing, yeah, the important thing you said too is like, what is the earn in the play to earn aspect? Is it is it based around an NFT? Is it based around them on receiving points that are conversions for currency? You know, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think anyone. You know, a lot of people kind of lump play to earn in as one, but so many of these games do it in different ways, right? Dota two, CS:GO, et cetera. You can pay for skins that have no impact on the game whatsoever. In other games, like a lot of these gacha style games, you can purchase to receive XP boosts in game or others. Um, with a game like um, like Star Wars, the old World Republic, it's an MMO, you can purchase, um, you know, you, you have to pay for playtime, for example. Is that something that you can potentially do? You know, and, and say the World of Warcraft model, um, is, it a, is it a way that, you know, you can't move that currency off, say like the Steam where it's in dollars, but it's kind of a semi-closed ecosystem. Once you put the money in there, you can't earn it. You can't take it off unless it's some third-party website, which is sometimes dodgy, sometimes not. So, you know, those are some good questions that you've posed as well, which, which I haven't touched on. Laura, I see you joined us on the stage. Would you like to add something to the conversation? We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, sure. Um, can you hear me okay? We can hear you. Yes. Okay, perfect. Sorry, I'm on my phone. It's really early here. So, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just wanted to, um, th there's a lot of chat about, um, obviously, NFTs and floor prices and, and uh, speculative assets and so on and so forth. And I just wanted to clarify for everyone here, just in case um, they may not know how our NFT system works. It's kind of like a subscription system, but a little bit different. Whereas our NFTs actually aren't speculative assets. What we've designed the NFTs for at Gamify are... Um, it's like a golden ticket. I think that's kind of the terminology we used. Um, whereas if you buy one of these MS NFTs, and there are going to be quite a few at the beginning, but I think the second and third rounds are going to get a bit more scarce. Um, if you buy one of these NFTs, it kind of cuts you through all of the uh, other gamification systems we have on the IDEO platform. So you get immediate whitelisting access. So you get that for three IDEOs or three months, and then they expire. And that's, that's it. They're done. Um, and you can't right now, um, that's their utility and you can't sell them. So there's no secondary market for these. These are purely a, um, like a utility, a utility NFT right now. I'm kind of doing some lore right now around our first, our first set, because as, as you mentioned, Marcus, they are kind of like, I called them the OG RPG characters. So there's like, you know, if you've ever played, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm dating myself here, but 
I'm still playing Baldur's Gate, you know, different Baldur's Gate games. And I scoured my, you know, game shops, especially in Thailand. It's really hard to find where I'm, where I'm based to, to find like all the, I got all three games on one, I think PS3 disc and I'm still playing it. Um, because that's just, it's, it's a memory to me or, um, you know, I'm still trying to finish Horizon because the the big machine scared me. So I just packed away for a while and I'll come back. But this is like classic RPG questing um, characters. And I do, I, I get, as Marcus said, I do encourage you to go check them out. There may be um, more utility coming in the future, but right now we're laser focused on getting our ideal platform working um, smoothly. So I just wanted to clarify real quickly for any, for anybody who didn't quite know how our NFT system worked and they're not speculative assets. They're not a bunch of, you know, not, not that I'm, I'm trashing anybody else's NFT projects, but they're not um, apes. They're not, um, you know, six different versions of the same dinosaur or anything like that. Um, they're fully fleshed characters and they're, they're 3d and they're animated and they're pretty cool. Well, thank you for clarifying. And, and I also wanted to take this time to do two things. One, uh, for those who've been joining us, thank you so much. I, I want to give you the announcement for the launch of the IDO. It's going to be on Tuesday, January 18th. That is two weeks from today. For those of you like me who live in the U.S., I, that might technically be the 17th. But I think also if you're like me in the U.S., you probably can't participate in the IDO anyway because of the IRS and the SEC. But the rest of you who can enjoy that, congratulations. So definitely put that date on your calendar. And also, I wanted to thank Gamify for being a sponsor of my Scholar Gamers program for my new book. It is called the Innovate Gaming and Esports book. And basically, through the Scholar Gamers program, Gamify has now unlocked the book to be purchased by students at at, uh, participating schools for just a dollar a piece. It's a 320-page book. We also have an NFT for the book that not only has uh, extra written pieces, but also has some video tutorials um, and will come in the future with some discount codes to games. And actually, we'll be able to leverage the NFT to get into some esports tournaments. So we've also been thinking about how do you leverage an NFT to add more value to the end user instead of just an NFT for the sake of the NFT. So thanks again to Laura and the entire Gamify team for making that possible. And again, the IDEO launch date is Tuesday, January 18th. Back to the conversation, uh, Chris, do you have any insights on on what you expect to see out of the marketplace, the metaverse, uh, NFTs in the future? And, and no spoilers for what's what's going to be in your upcoming report, but eager to hear your insights there. Yeah, I think, you know, like I said, I just keep harping on that forever. It's about utility and usability. Like Laura said, they're not, they're not a security. They're not an investment asset. They're not things that you buy and sell and move on. You know, for for large profits, they're not they're not ones where you see celebrities buying a seven hundred thousand dollar you know version of your project and, and joining the ecosystem and things like that too. You can share on Twitter. They're purely assets that you can use for a purpose. It's a literally a ticket stub that looks really cool. And, and you know, maybe that's an oversimplified way to kind of explain it. So, you know, I think that's something that we're going to see a lot more. And like I said, this is why gamers I think are rightfully upset at some of these large companies just diving into NFT. They're like, hey, you know, the skins you've purchased uh, this whole time, well, now you can buy them in a different way that's much more complex that you need to go do some research about and be scared if you type your password in wrong or lose them or someone hacks them. So, but like, have fun. <laughs> like, you know, you can, I think you can see why, why gamers would be upset looking at it like that. You know, they want, like I said, like I'll continue saying, they want utility, they want usability, and they want it to add a positive thing to their experience, either 
a brand new thing they couldn't do without it or a current experience that have been much better. Maybe another way to explain that, not in NFTs, would be imagine if Visa and MasterCard came out tomorrow and said, hey, you know how you're all paying whatever the transaction fee is for a Visa transaction? Well, now they're going to be twice as fast and they're going to cost quarter as much, the end. And it turns out that that's backed by blockchain. No one's going to complain about that because it's, it's providing, you know, it's something they already do every single day, multiple times a day for some people, and it's making their experience much better and it's making their prices cheap for things they purchase because, you know, hopefully the profits pass on the consumer. So that's a, that's an example, like once again, a very simplified example of how blockchain can make people's lives better. So it just needs to be that. It's square peg round hole we're seeing a lot of the time at the moment, but it's because the market's so brand new and people are still figuring out how these things need to work. I use a similar metaphor when I explain to people about blockchain that I talk about kind of frequent flyer miles with an airline, right? You earn them, they're a digital currency and they just incentivize you to, to continue to do business with that community. And I, I think as we see cryptocurrencies get to scale, just as Bitcoin has kind of abstracted the concept of money away from the US dollar or, or whatever your local currency is, I think you'll start to see other cryptocurrencies abstract value away from uh, Ethereum and Bitcoin to represent actual communities, right? Like if you're going to be playing a video game anyway, and you, you love again, like like uh, the Zelda series, why not continue to invest your time, your energy, and your money and your social capital into that game and get something out of it? I would hear your, your thoughts on on um, security for the future, because I, I think that's a topic that doesn't get covered quite often. Um, specifically around smart contracts and if that creates a liability or, or is there something to keep an eye on into the future as, as we're participating in all of these blockchain-based games that are using these smart contracts? Are, should we be educating gamers about like doing their own audits since most of them may not be able to read code or understand code? Yeah, that's one of the hardest things, right? We saw this with all of the ICO run pools in 2017, 2018, you know, before they were called rug pulls, right? Mm -hmm. I made a post about this recently on LinkedIn where at that stage, every single every single company was focused on solving, in quotation marks, solving the problem of Bitcoin not being a great place or not, not a great medium to transact. You know, it's expensive, it's slow compared to other cryptocurrencies or even compared to Visa or MasterCard to be able to, you know, make your daily coffee purchase, you know, through that or buy a house or something like that through Bitcoin. And then with the added stress of if you type the address in wrong, where you're sending the wallet money to, it's gone forever. So imagine imagine buying a house, sending a, a $40,000 or in Australia because the price is so expensive, sending it like a seventy dollars to $80,000 deposit and then it just disappearing and there's no way to get it back. So that's some stress that's added to that space. So, yeah, security is hard. And then as these companies develop and, and like we're seeing more regulations come out in various markets, the Australian government has, has started, you know, looking into it heavily. Obviously, the US government is as well and so many other of these, of these you know, global, not just like um, GDP leaders, but but also, you know, cultural and, and world leaders in the, in the space are all looking into solving some of those problems. As things become more legitimised, some of those problems will disappear. I think one thing that people aren't thinking about, uh, made some content on previously as well, is that with smart contracts, not all the time, um, because there are ways around this, but the the natural way that a lot of people think about smart contracts is not necessarily the right way to think, which is everything's public. If everything was a smart contract, that means that if I could find someone's wallet address, which shouldn't be too hard to do, there's some great detectives online who can find that. Um, if everything's a smart contract, 
let's say, you know, Marcus has everything as a smart contract and I can find his wallet. I can find how much you purchased your washing machine for and when. I can find where your house is, how much you paid for it, or if you're renting, you know, how much your rent is per month and when mm-hmm. you pay it. You can find your car, lease agreement. I can find everything. I can find what school your kids are signed up to because it's a smart contract that's attached to your wallet. You know, there's, there's, so, many, there's so many things that could be tracked, you know, without proper security that can be part of that too. And it's all public on the blockchain. So, I had this discussion with a real estate agent who's talking about, you know, all real estate purchases are going to be NFTs in the future or, or at least on the blockchain in the future. And I said to him, you know, without proper security, I could very easily find, you know, he said to me, like, how could you find my wallet? I said, well, I just need to find one person who's ever purchased or rented a house off you, find them posting, you know, an NFT in their profile photo, and that's really easy to then find their wallet, what's attached to that NFT, and then I can find their wallet because they're the ones that have received the commission from the sale. And there you go, I found everything. And all of your details. So, yeah, definitely everything being public is not always a great thing. Um, you know, the same way that people are concerned about governments being able to spy into your, you know, transaction records and into your social media and into your chats and things like that too. You know, that potentially can, you know, purchase in a manner if things aren't set up properly and safely in a blockchain manner. Yeah, there, there are private and, you know, i.e. permission blockchains where you can set security of who has access to what information, but to your point, the majority of them are public blockchains. And I think, you know, we've seen some uh, in the gaming and esports space, some scandals over the last year that were kind of uncovered because of the public nature of transactions. All to your point, all you have to do is if one influencer does a giveaway and someone has to post their, their wallet um, ID in order for for them to, to receive whatever the prize is, you can basically take that timestamp and, and, work backwards to where it was issued from. Yeah, and it's good for some things, like the tournament prize pools, because then everybody can see that publicly. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody can see the Team Liquid won the CSGO tournament, they got paid the $100,000. You know, there's, there's no dodgy things going on. No one can claim the money wasn't paid or wasn't paid to the right place. It's all, you know, it's all it's all part of that. But, um, yeah, it could definitely cause some issues when, you know, do you want people to know what your salary is, your wage when you're paid, you know, all that kind of stuff, if, it, if it's not properly secured. Do you think that the gaming industry or gamers rather will ever forgive blockchain for creating like this, this shortage of uh, graphics cards over the last several years? <laughs> yeah, it's hard, man. It's, it's, it's annoying. But, um, you know, and it's not, it's not just cryptocurrency mining, you know, especially with the lower end cards, right? Right. A lot of it is, you know, the pandemic and, and supply chain issues and all that kind of stuff too. It's going on. But I mean, you know, gamers don't hate, there's, I mean, it's not as bad, but there's a lack of RAM in the market, especially when new, um, when new phones are released, because Samsung makes the majority of RAM, you know, for PCs, but also for iPhones and for their own products as well, which is the majority of the mobile phone market. So, you know, working at Corsair, being a being a memory or a RAM company, there's always been problems with supply in, in regards to that too. There's, there's supply in so many things, and now a chip shortage too, right? With um. You know, it's harder to get a Tesla. I mean, it was harder for me to upgrade my internet because I needed a new router and I couldn't get it for four months because of the chip shortage. Wow. So I had to use, you know, lower quality internet when I moved house recently for, for quite some time. So, yeah, I think the gamers might get over it, but, you know, it's almost like blockchain has a, P- has a PR issue as far as gamers go, which is like what I was talking about before, right? Not only is there just these NFT square peg around holes being shoved in there, but then there's also the graphics card problem too. So, you know, I think they're rightfully annoyed, like, like I said a few times. I'm sure you're familiar with Second Life, which I think is one of the first true metaverses. You know, I think yeah. you would agree that the metaverses existed in the gaming industry for decades and only really became like 2.0 when Facebook became meta. 
Uh, yep. But I, I think we've we've seen some things that's happened in virtual worlds that I think are concerning about the future of the metaverse, like gold farms, right? Uh, do you see, how do you feel about the future of the metaverse or, or do you see it being more utopian or, or dystopian? If you think it's dystopian, what can we do to prevent that? Because I, I, I think there's a fine line between like being in a virtual environment, playing video games all the time and, and being like, for lack of a better term, a slave to the virtual environment, being forced to play video games all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard to say, isn't it? Um, and, you know, I've listened to some topics about this on experts, you know, the social dilemma, which I'm sure a lot of people have watched and other things too about how social media encroaches on general life. Um, you know, I've tried to limit my phone use, but it's very hard. You know, definitely find that addiction of just opening up Reddit without meaning to, even if you take it off your main screen. And, you know, I went through the process of thinking about buying a dumb phone, but then realised that I can't, I can't call an Uber on that <laughs> if I need to when I'm travelling. Um, and things like that too. So, yeah, I, I don't have a solid answer. I think there's a lot of arguments people are making against Facebook and Meta because they're, they're saying that Facebook wants to make a metaverse which is meant to be open but then they want to close it and then be the owner of that entire ecosystem, mm-hmm. um, which from a company perspective potentially makes sense from a history perspective for them. It makes sense to make that claim. Um, so it could be scary if one person controls everything. But, yeah, it's really hard to say. I think we're in, we're in such uncharted territory where often, like I was saying with smart contracts, people are saying one thing but they might mean another. And this has happened for years when someone comes to me and says, I want to do esports. And then my common thing I say is, well, actually, no, you want to work with gamers. And then beyond that, you actually want to work with Gen Z millennials and gaming is the way you want to talk to them above everything else. So I think we're still, people are still figuring out what they mean when they say things like metaverse and NFT, Web 3.0, um, and because it's all, it's all just so new. I mean, I'm a massive, um, yeah, massive fan of, of like World War history, and I see some, I mean, it's on a very different scale because people aren't literally dying all the time. But it's it's in some in some small way similar to what they talk about generals in World War One. They had no idea. Everyone knew what technology they had. They had no idea what the technology could do. And unfortunately, there was a lot of human suffering and life lost. And I'm not saying it's on the same scale of Bitcoin, right? But just just you know, in a very simplistic, oversimplified way, it's very similar in the space too. Where people are going to make a lot of mistakes trying to figure out what the hell needs to actually happen and what they should do with the technology they have. You know, it's, it's like if an alien came and dropped off a spaceship, you know, someone's going to crash it, something bad is going to happen with it, but eventually you're going to be able to reverse engineer and figure out what an awesome thing that's just landed is. When you think about the metaverse, do you see it being more uh, sandbox or more Pokemon Go AR? Um, I mean, Pokemon Go AR kind of makes sense, right? But you know, there was that cool one that was launched by, is it Nike in collaboration with someone else was like a running app. And they, they did a promo with a with an influencer lady who was running through like New York and she could see signs, she could see motivational things happening there and she could see what direction she was meant to be running in on her screen and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like that kind of Google Glass type application stuff is pretty cool. But, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. Like the way that I explain it a lot of the time is that my quote-unquote kind of metaverse with my mates who I play, you know, semi-pro, Esports with and have like a wider friendship group. Our metaverse is Discord plus Dota. We often play Dota just to catch up with each other and just, you know, talk crap to each other and drink some beers. And, you know, once a year pre COVID, we'd always have a massive catch up. We'd get Airbnb on some coast somewhere in Australia and we'll drive and fly there and catch up in person. But this year we did it virtually, you know, by playing um, Jackbox type games and on Discord and drinking beers and that kind of stuff remotely. So, you know, it's I don't know exactly what the solution is for that for, for us, mates, but at the moment, our kind of quote-unquote metaverse is Discord plus Dota. But if it's somewhere where you can catch up easily in virtual reality in person, it might be 
um, like the solution that Vale has provided, which is one of our clients. You know, they've got an awesome armory. They've got chests. They're introducing sports um, and many other things in there too where you can just hang out with mates, sit on the couch, maybe watch Netflix together. They've got pets that can be running around. You can put your NFTs in the wall to display, and it's quite immersive. So that, that could definitely be something that I could work on. Well, the next question I had for you was what's your favorite uh, blockchain game right now? Because, you know, at the beginning or the dawn of the mobile gaming games weren't that great. And now, you know, they're competitive with with some console games and even PC games. And, and I think we could all agree that we're still in early days of, of game experiences in blockchain games. Yeah. Outside of that game, do you have anything others or any others that, that are interesting to you? No, I think my simple answer to that is my favourite is, is, is some that are in development that I can't really talk about that will be coming out. Because I think a lot of the games these days are just proof of concept mm-hmm. and they don't, um, you know, like you said, they're like early mobile games. We haven't even reached the endless runner stage of mobile hysteria yet. We haven't reached Flappy Bird. We haven't reached Crossy Road. We haven't reached um, Temple Runner. You know, those, those are kind of like three massive cornerstone games, maybe Fruit Ninja as well, like four massive cornerstone games of mobile gaming that kind of really helped to set the scene and, and change the way that mobile gaming functioned to where we got to today. And then I guess more in-depth games like Grand Shadow Legends or Mobile Legends Bang Bang were kind of like the next iteration of taking it seriously, not just as casual. So I think we're, we're far off that. You know, people don't understand that games are expensive to make and they take a long time. Just because EA can manage to push out a Battlefield every year or two or three and, and um, Activision Blizzard can manage to push out a Call of Duty every year or two, you know, that, that takes a lot of work and hundreds of staff and millions and millions of dollars to produce. You know, these crypto projects, while they might be awesome, they might be able to raise $7 million. What is $7 million to a FIFA launch? It's nothing. Nothing compared to, like, licensing and marketing and all that kind of stuff, you know, within a couple of countries that won't globally. So, yeah, we're going we're to see a little bit before these games are developed to, like, a AAA sense. Looking forward to seeing some, some the true potential of blockchain gaming where... I, Ideally, we should just be calling it gaming, you know, future state, just like we don't talk about like internet powered games or just games. Yeah, exactly. And, I, and I've talked about this in the past, like when we started doing a little bit of work with, with kind of people on TikTok and some more stuff in Gen Z. Um, a lot of Gen Zs, from, from my personal experience, don't necessarily classify themselves as a gamer because they are real gamers. If they're a person on TikTok, like, like Jake and Dance, who have done some work with in the past, she, she plays games, she plays Fortnite, she plays. Minecraft, but it's not her identity because it's just part of all of her friends do. It's just a, mm-hmm. it's just a thing that they've all done since they were a kid. Like in Australia, you don't classify yourself as a car driver. They don't walk up to someone and say, hi, my name's Chris and I have a car license. It's like, well, of course you do. <laughs> like the majority of the adult population in Australia has a car license. It's not a, it's not a unique identifier. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be awesome. I, I, I wonder for companies that are trying to get into the space because you handle influencer marketing, what would yeah. some advice be that you'd give people who are trying to get into blockchain game or even like gaming marketing in general? I think one of the best ways is just to connect and learn. It's what I like to do at the start of anything, right? And and how you do that, often the time for me is, is on Twitter. And I'm a little bit lax these days compared to where I was in the past. But, you know, I got this great advice from Jamie Skeller, um, who's a you know, multiple-time entrepreneur and actually very early in the blockchain space too. He, um, he launched Horizon State, which is a democratization token back in like 2016 or 17 or something like that. Um, and for him, you know, his advice to me is be very specific with who you follow on Twitter. So I took that literally and I followed every single person he did and then I followed people as I saw fit, but I literally followed every single person he followed on Twitter because it was a huge amount. It was maybe like 200 or something like that. 
Um, and then I've, I've tried to keep that same thing for myself. There, there's a couple of people I might follow to mean value or to watch their rise or, or see what they're doing or something like that. But, yeah, historically I've been very stringent with who I followed on Twitter. So following people who are leading and owning projects, following people who are making big waves in the space, following people who I think can make big waves, following people who I think I might want to hire as a business owner you know, or I want to keep in touch with and, and things like that too. Um, so I think that's a great way to start. I mean, another way is too, we have a, a private invite-only developer chat in the Gamify Discord as well. So if anyone is serious or, or already actioning in the space or serious about joining the space, you can feel free to talk to one of the moderator team or, or talk to Marcus or myself and, you know, we can look at adding you into there. But there's NFT IP owners in there, like Phenophobia Collective. There's senior marketers in the industry like Alex Geologics from Respawn Chairs. There's, um, uh, you know, senior people from... Um, seeing the people from other companies like Gamers Outreach in there as well, you know, and a huge um, uh, charitable organisation within esports and gaming. So, yeah, someone wants to discuss and learn a bit more in a closed kind of, you know, senior, mid, mid levels of senior B2B environment, you know, there's, there's a different channel on Gamify and Discord, we can do that as well. Can you take a step back there? You mentioned Twitter's your go-to for information. Is there a reason that you choose that over LinkedIn? Because I know you spend a lot of time building community and ecosystem on LinkedIn. And and before you answer that question, for anyone who's listening, if you haven't followed Chris yet, I highly recommend you do that. I think he's very close to reaching his 30,000 uh, person follower max. And so you, you won't be able to make a direct connection with him. You'll be just a general follower. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but if you, you want that opportunity, I think He's got, what are you shy, four or 500 now from 30,000? 30, yeah, that's a good question, actually. I'm looking at it now, 29,600. There you go. Okay, so you heard it from him. You got about uh, 400 people left before that opportunity will go away. Again, you can still learn from his incredible insights, but you just won't be able to make that direct connection request. But, but back to my question, I know you spend a lot of time investing into the LinkedIn ecosystem. Is there a reason you prefer to, to get your your cultural immersion for NFTs and, and the metaverse in Twitter versus LinkedIn? Yeah, I think I just think that Twitter is much more for volume information and it's much more fast moving. And a lot of the time I'll take information from Twitter and then boil it down simply to then share as an industry leader on LinkedIn, if that makes sense. I, I kind of, I pride myself a lot of the time of being like almost like an industry filter. And someone's told me about this before. They like to follow me because I tell them, what matters, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to cover everything in the industry. And that's why you need to follow multiple people, right? You need to follow Phil Ranzer, yourself, Mark Hyde, um, you know, Christopher Hanna from the Esports Observer. Right. Um, you need to follow, um, like, Chris Kizak from the Isle of Man, you know, to get different opinions and different views of the market and covering slightly different things. But I think all of us, what we, what we try to do, and I think we all do quite well, is say, like, there is such a massive sea of information out there. Here are some things that are important and here's why they're important. And that's how I started my, my journey on LinkedIn. It was just sharing an article that I thought was important to me and then it was boiling that, that full article down into, say, five important dot points and then maybe adding an extra line of information you wouldn't get by reading an article. So not only will you save time by reading what I've written, but also you'll probably learn more by reading what I've written than just opening up the article. And then if you want to, sure, you can open the article because I'll link it in the comments and you can go and read it. That's awesome. And, and that reminds me of a conversation that we had uh, on LinkedIn a few weeks ago. I think it might have been after your birthday. Uh, you know, I, I think for a while. I can see in the space that that there are, are channels of information and schools of thought. And I, I've heard some of our mutual colleagues describe the two of us as like opposite sides of the same coin because we have different experiences. 
Uh, both of us want to see the best for the, the ecosystem. We just have different lived experiences, so different perspectives. So I, I think it's yeah. I think you said it very clearly that, it you know, how important it was for us to have different perspectives, even if they're potentially conflicting perspectives or conflicting opinions. Yeah, exactly. And there's, and there's biases where they're like um, known or unknown, right? This is what I talk to a lot of people about all the time. It's, it's very common that, um, you know, someone, someone from the mainstream market will get their entire idea of the esports industry based on pictures that they've gotten from esports team owners and salespeople. Mm-hmm. Because from what I've seen, esports teams seem to be almost like, I don't know how to exactly conceptualize this, so I'll, I'll try to fumble through to explain it. But they seem to be like, the most voluminous of any company are esports teams and the most aggressive are esports teams in trying to make sales as well. So they'll get their entire understanding of like what the value is and where things come from in the market from esports teams reaching out to them and they might and they might make their decision that that's not the right place or the right industry for them to go in simply based off that. And to explain to them that uh, actually it's just like traditional sports. You know, you don't have to just sponsor the Dallas Mavericks. There are so many other things. You could sponsor the league directly. You could sponsor the Little League. You could sponsor influencers who attend the event. You could sponsor, you know, so many different so many different levels that are part of it too. So that's why I think it's important to get those different looks because if you follow you versus me, we have different types of content. If you follow Chris Kizak, he's mainly talking about EU and Isle of Man-based stuff and then a lot of financial products, et cetera. If you follow Mark Kai, he's very US-focused from, from what I see. He's based in the US, but he's very esports team focused and esports specific focused. If you follow me, you're going to get a bit of a smattering of everything from esports, blockchain, you know, influencers, TikTok, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why, yeah, it's definitely important to, to follow different types of people. And they all present content in different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, Mark's starting to do some more um, text based posts and personal posts, but, you know, he does the This Week in Esports, which is very well regarded, which is just a quick, you know, couple minute wrap up of here's all the news that came out. Yeah, that, that's an excellent segment that he does. Uh, I, I forgot to mention earlier when I announced the IDO that it will be on Launchpool. So that again, that's going to be Tuesday, January 18th, UK time uh, on Launchpool. And I didn't also give the schedule for the podcast moving forward. So we'll be having a five or six episode sprint between now and the 18th. You can expect the next few episodes to be uh, January 7th, the 10th, the 15th and the 17th. We have, just like Chris Smith, several excellent guests lined up, including uh, the CEO of Game Credits, which is one of the first cryptocurrencies ever created. Our our mutual colleague, Phil Ranta, who was uh, a leader over at Facebook Gaming before he went to become CEO at Wormhole, um, and and several other great guests. So really excited for those conversations. Chris, do you have anything else that uh, you'd like to add? Or actually, before we do that, do we have any other questions from our audience? Thank you all for attending. Love to get some questions answered if you have anything for Chris. Yeah, I think, you know, while we're waiting, if there's any questions, the the last point for me that I've harped on so many times before is like, what's the usability, what's the utility, and what value does it add? And that's the question that needs to be asked all the time with these kind of blockchain projects. So many of these don't. They'll just release a... You know, they just release a roadmap that's got some stuff in it. How are we going to make a game? You know, we're an FTIP, et cetera, et cetera. Like, what does that mean? Why? What does that value add? Here's another way to think about it that I've said to some people. If, if you were to take two projects, let's say Fortnite, and then you were to take another game that has a, that has an applicable, so a similar play style, that has a similar type of community, that has a similar game quality um, and a similar ecosystem, one pays you to play that game and one doesn't, and they're both equally as easy to become involved in, which one are you going to pick? 
it's, it's obvious you're going to go for the play-to-earn aspect, right? So if you've mm-hmm. got another game that's just as good to play as Fortnite, it's easy It's easy to get a game, it's got all the influences, got all the contents, it's easy to download and install, you're going to play the game that rewards you because why not? It's free money and it's exactly the peer-to-peer and it's apples to apples. But at this stage, we don't have that yet. If we have, um, you can jump on and play Fortnite or, or like we've seen with some of these, um, you know, smaller games, you can jump on and play Fortnite, CSGO, you know, League of Legends, Dota 2 for free or you can pay like $200 to play some crappy pixelated game that's basically a mini game that would be inside like Grand Theft Auto 4 or something like that. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, not, they're not apples to apples comparisons whatsoever. They need to, you know, once the quality increases, then, you know, the gameplay going, going to increase, the community will increase, the marketing budgets will increase, and then you'll have, you know, the ninja of whatever this blockchain game is. You'll have the Nick Mertz of whatever this blockchain game is, and it'll be much more, yeah, much more progressive. You said it perfectly. I think a great example of that is like, look at Sandbox, which is, you know, arguably one of the upcoming unicorns of the metaverse. Uh, the gameplay experience is very similar to Minecraft, but at, uh, in, in theory, I don't think in practice or in application, the, the level of execution is there. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, it takes, it takes time. Games are hard to make. Right. Like good games, good apps, really good websites. You know, like thinking back to like, really my start when I first started trying to do some sort of consulting stuff and trying to figure out, like, what that even means. I remember reading, like, this person's consultant. I don't even know what that means. Um, you know, everybody at that stage would, would come to my friend who runs a website and server um, hosting company asking him to, like, hey, can you make the next YouTube? Like, it's not that easy. <laughs> you, can't, <laughs> you can't just make the next YouTube and you can't just make the next Facebook. You know, we saw that for a long time, right? We saw every single company wanted to be the, the Facebook of esports and okay? gaming. You know, that, that was a trend that happened for a while until I think they figured out how expensive and hard it is to do that when the market's already so flooded. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Cyberpunk 2077. You know, they I think they were making that game for 10 years. And, you know, when it launched, it, it still wasn't it didn't hit all the high marks across the board. I think it had a great PC release, but the console release, you know, there were some bugs and some issues there. So if it in 10 years, yeah. they still had that kind of issue. You've got to be patient. And I, I can't remember exactly what the terminology is, right? But Dota 2 moved to this and that, they talked about it. And I, I believe they're, they're copying the way that League of Legends and Major CSGO do it as well, where instead of releasing Dota 3, Dota 4, Dota 5, like you do in Call of Duty, and instead of waiting nine months to release a huge patch that changed, adds a lot of, um, you know, new heroes, maybe just a new game mode, et cetera, they're going to, like, fortnightly small updates and then kind of, like, quarterly large updates. I think it's games as a service, if, if I'm right. Mm-hmm. I'm really blanking on what it is. But this is where blockchain games could go. I mean, go back and... Every now and then, I've got my old screenshots from when CSGO first released. You know, to be harsh and to be completely honest, the game was terrible at the start. It was not good. Model titles were terrible. There were so many points in the map you could stand on that you shouldn't be able to. The hitboxes were dodgy. The graphics weren't great. The wheels were bad. Um, you know, the, the in-air movement was terrible. Um, the way you would get tagged through doors was not good. Like, it was not a good game at all at the start. But when they started making a ton of money off it, when they introduced skins and kind of really pioneered that market into FPS and wider games other than just TF2, um, they started putting more effort into it and the game's developed so much since then. Look at League of Legends. League of Legends was like a 500 megabyte entire game installer in the past. And now I think I installed it again the other day. It's like 30 gigabytes now from when it was released like over 10 years ago. So, you know, these games can update over time. So there's no reason that, you know, this Minecraft-esque blockchain game kind of thing might be fantastic now, but if it gets a really good use space for people who are spending money on it you know, they can make some capital and they can become a sustainable small company. There's no reason they couldn't expand to becoming a sustainable, much larger company that can take on, you know, Roblox and Minecraft and stuff in the future with a game as a service. 
Yeah, a lot of potential in the future. Again, like you said, it's still early days. We've, we've got to be patient. We've got to really uh, give the support to developers. I, I think that's one of the things that as as I see, hopefully, cryptocurrencies creating like more uh, entrenched and more focused communities around any kind of brand, particularly in games. I'd love to see more alpha and beta testing happen in game development. Because I see this happen in movies all the time where like a movie gets developed for years and they don't like focus group it properly. And then when you it launches and it tanks, it's like, of course it tanked. Like you built this terrible movie. But the same thing happens in games. But, you know, gamers love to be a part of, of a community, love to get early access, love to share their feedback. Definitely not not uh, apprehensive about doing any of that. I'd love to see, you know, crypto and the metaverse kind of, again, evolve the relationship so that we can get better input and then have better output, which is better games. Yeah, that's where that game as a service comes from, right? When you release small updates over a period of time. Mm. And that's why all these products, you don't see them change drastically like Twitter and Facebook, but Facebook is drastically different as did the farm build days of 2009. Like the usability, user experience, the UX, UI, what features are added, like it's all, it's drastically different. But it's because you can make those small changes over time and if you don't like them, you can revert them or you can change them and you can bring them back at a later date, like what if you decide to. But if you're releasing like if you're releasing a new Call of Duty and as the market likes to say, the DOA, like dead on arrival, people don't like it, that's it. You can't you can't entirely change. If you release a World War II Call of Duty and you realize that everybody hates World War II right now, what do you do? You can't just skin the game to suddenly be sci-fi or something like that. But when you're releasing these things over a slower period of time, you can roll back updates and things like that too. And that definitely happens. You know, I think the thing for Dota too is they mainly release new heroes. They, they're not in the competitive mode at the start, and the new heroes basically always overpower so people play them so they get some game time in it so then they can see how it works into the ecosystem and then they balance and change based off that. Awesome. Do you have any other parting thoughts? And if not, uh, where can people follow you to get more information? Feel free to plug your website, um, your Twitter and LinkedIn accounts. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, so um, at Smithy Mayo on Twitter or LinkedIn.com forward slash IM forward slash Smithy Mayo would be the best places to follow me or bigesports.gg is a website. But as with most companies, you know, we don't, we don't use it too much these days. It's mainly just around, you know, LinkedIn and, and Twitter. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time and your insights. I learned a ton. I'm sure everyone in the audience did. And everyone tune back in on January 7th for our next episode and our next guest. Good night, friends. Say hello.